Okay, turn in your books to Lesson 8. Lesson 8 will be in Luke 19 if you have a Bible, but uh, the text will be there on the other page as you find Lesson 8, The Supernatural Response to Grace. Lesson 8. And uh, we're going we're gonna to learn a good lesson tonight. And hopefully you have a great discussion at your tables. Um, this is how we go deeper with Jesus. We disciple one another by working this stuff out. All right, you ready? Are you ready? I'm ready. I've been waiting all day for this right here. And I have 20 minutes, 25 minutes. So uh, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you have graced us, that you've lavished us in grace. And thank you that uh, we can look to you and uh, just walking today and thinking that my, my future, my eternity is absolutely secure. And no matter what happens to me in this life on this earth, uh, I will be with you and I will be with you on the new earth one day when this thing is all healed, this creation is resurrected. And so I pray that that would comfort every soul here tonight. But while we're here, Father, we want to learn. We want to grow. We want to be the new us. We want your son to break through in our lives. We want to learn the language of love. And we want to speak the language of forgiveness. And we want to replace criticism with acts of kindness. And anger with acts of grace and gentleness. And we want to be a healing agent in this world. And so we ask that through the scripture as we surrender our hearts right now, that your Holy Spirit would teach us the ways of Jesus and his life as we see it would become so beautiful that it would awaken a new appetite to live his life out as we leave this place. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Luke 19, we're talking Zacchaeus. Have you guys enjoyed this segment with Zacchaeus? Do you guys feel like you kind of get to know these people as we're, as we're learning them in the Bible? How many of you guys feel that way? Yeah, I feel, like, I feel like this is like my Bible posse now. Like I know these guys. I can turn and read about these guys. And I'm like, I've, I've gone through things with you, Zacchaeus. It's really cool. Um, so that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do is illuminate or make this book so real to us. But again, we're, we're calling this segment Grace Through the Eyes of Jesus. We want to see people as Jesus sees them. I'm going to go at this a little bit different tonight and talk a little bit about Zacchaeus in a different way. But here's my question, guys, and this is so important that you get this. Here is one of the most profound, important questions that you can ask yourself. If you're a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, if you're here tonight and you are not a Christian, you're like, I'm wrestling with this thing. Um, I like the new angle at this. It's fresh. It's raw. It's real. But I'm still kind of wrestling with this. This is one of the most important questions you can ask yourself. So I want you to even write this down or, or write it on the, the table of your heart here. Um, what should the gospel do to you? I'm seriously, guys, take that in for a minute. Take that very seriously. What should the gospel be doing to you? And you say, well, what do you mean the gospel? We, we, could, we, could, we could take the gospel word out and we could put the cross there. What is the cross supposed to do to you? We could take the cross out and we could say salvation. What, what is salvation designed to do to you? What should be happening to you? And what, is, what does it mean when the life of God collides with the soul of man? Something should be coming awake in us. We should be coming less and less asleep. A little Brooke Fraser for you right there. 
Um, we should be awakening to new things. Uh, we should be speaking a new language, the language of Jesus, the language of love and grace and healing and all of those good things. And, and I want to ask us a question. If you call Bethel your home or you're just kind of swinging in and out on Wednesday nights, here, here's a question we need to begin to ask ourselves more and more. If someone were to walk in here on Sunday, if someone were to walk into Sunday school class, if someone was to walk in and uh, worship with us at 11 o'clock, or if somebody was to hang out after church on Sunday, what would they experience in you, in me? What should they see in us? What should they feel in us? I mean, what should be happening in, in, the, in the insides, in the heart of a believer who has accepted Jesus as their Savior? Well, here it is. Here's the, here's the, here's the simple answer, yet terribly profound and complex at the same time, here's what the gospel, the cross, here's what being saved, here's what it all should be doing to you. Jesus should be growing in our souls. Is that easy? No. Absolutely not. Because we have this thing called the flesh, the body, that has a tendency with an animalistic flavor to war against this process. But Jesus should be growing in our souls. And I like to think of it like this. When Jesus goes like, salvation is like a rushing river. The Holy Spirit is like a rushing river that's been injected into your soul. Which is to say like, the life of Jesus is trying to burst out from me. So when you talk to me, the life of Jesus is trying to just burst out on you. Like I want you to hear grace and love and patience and, and kindness and care when you talk to me. Because the life of Jesus is just crushing out of me. Through the Holy Spirit. He's growing my heart and the emotions and the thoughts of Jesus are coming out of me. And that's what we find with Zacchaeus. He, he is kind of the fundamental example of what it looks like when someone gets saved. Uh, he's a miraculous story. And so we met this guy. And, and what we'll see in, in Luke 19 is we'll see a guy who has a collision with Jesus. And he awesomely loses the collision. He's just destroyed in a beautiful way. And Jesus picks up all the pieces and, the, and he begins to put together this new human. The life of Jesus begins to almost immediately pour out of this guy, Zacchaeus. So let's meet him again. Let's run through some uh, kind of abbreviated things that we, we looked at last week. By the way, a lot of people ask me uh, in the last 12 months here, and I mean that when I say a lot, how do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that I'm saved? And you say, well, I, I, I walk the altar. You know, I, I prayed and asked you know, I prayed the sinner's prayer. Okay, praise the Lord. But here's what the scripture says. It says that you know that you're saved when this thing called behavioral proof begins to show up. And it doesn't mean it happens overnight. My soul, goodness, just talk to my wife. <laughs> um, I am not the person that I want to be now. Um, but things begin to to show up. Things begin to develop naturally through the power of the Holy Spirit. I didn't turn over a new leaf. I'm not moralistically trying to be a better person. There's a new flowing river that's moving out from me and I begin to love new things. I begin to hate new things. I begin to want to treat people in different ways. And again, it's not overnight. Um, it takes a lot of discipleship work. But, but that's how you know you're saved. Yes, you need to accept Jesus as your Savior, but there should be something that begins to show up. Amen? Moment? So let's look at our little guy, Zacchaeus. Uh, and this is exactly what we're going to see. So uh, 19, Luke 19, 1 and 2, real quick. Let's buzz through it. We talked about this last week. He, who is that? He? Yeah, you guys, it's all good. 
yelled out, have fun tonight. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. He's making his way to Jerusalem. He's going to the cross. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. There's our guy. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Uh, Almost an understatement. Remember who we said to think about when we think of, bless you, um, when we think of Zacchaeus, who's an actor we said to think about? Danny DeVito. And then I was, a better actor was Joe Pesci, right? Joe Pesci, Danny DeVito. I mean, this is, this is like the perfect idea of what uh, Zacchaeus must have been like. And when we think about Zacchaeus, like who was this guy? Okay, we, we, we just saw that he's a tax collector and he's rich, but do you remember, um, do you remember what his name means? What is it? Lucky, clean, clean, clean. All good answers. Isn't it bad when someone who's studied this stuff all day asks you these questions? It's kind of a low blow. Uh, but it means clean. And you think about like, I, I don't know the backstory to this guy, but maybe his parents named him that with this idea that uh, we want our son to grow up clean and righteous and holy uh, with a little bit of providential luck thrown in, maybe something like that. And yet we read in verse 2 that he's a chief tax collector. So somehow something goes terribly wrong in this man's life. And we also find out that he's a little man. And again, I don't want to be unfair to the scripture, but it's very possible that because of his stature, maybe he was disrespected most of his life, that he found a way to find identity, value, and power by becoming this tax collector, which was a very prominent and powerful position in culture. Maybe he's supplementing these emotional holes in him. Okay, if I wasn't treated right and respected my whole life because I, I look this way, I was a little man, well, I'm going to show the world, I'm going to be valued by becoming this. And I don't care what it does to anybody. I don't know, but something goes terribly wrong because he turns out to be a chief tax collector, um, which was kind of the mob boss. He wasn't down doing the dirty work. He was the one who had other tax collectors working for him. And as they collected taxes, they brought a huge percent to him. And, And I asked this question last week, and it kind of blows me away. Why did Zacchaeus turn to this type of lifestyle? Because we know a tax collector was really the dirt Uh, the scum of the earth to the Jewish people. They were Jews who were collecting taxes for the Romans and the taxes they were collecting were from the Jewish people. They were traitors. Why did he turn to this type of lifestyle? Well, again, we can only speculate, but thinking of human nature, I asked the question last week, why do people seek power and wealth? (laughs) I mean, why do people seek power and wealth? Control? Fulfillment? Significance? CJ, what did you say? They think it's going to be fulfilling? This is the second gold rush here. Not to say making money is wrong. I mean, we have some amazing people uh, who are wealthy in this church, my soul. But when it becomes an issue of identity... Um, If I can make money, then I can buy a certain thing. I can look a certain way. And when people look at me, they'll value me. Man, that's a hard life. But it sucks all of us in, right? It sucks all of us in. And it tells us the human heart is a vacuum. We, We are desperate for something. And we keep looking to find it in all of these weird cultural avenues, wealth being one of them, or, or uh, power, or prestige uh, being one of them. And if you think about humans, guys, if humans think that wealth can bring identity and value, doesn't that explain the relentless pursuit of wealth? And doesn't that tell us how desperate people are to find identity and value? You with me on that? 100%. 
So Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, the, the reason I love this story is because Zacchaeus wants to be free. He's tired of it. And uh, I, I've told my uh, pieces of my testimony. Uh, maybe I'll tell my full story of how I got saved. I don't know if any of you would, you may not even believe the story. I mean, it's so bizarrely beautiful how Jesus saved me. Um, but Zacchaeus, and, and, and when I tell my testimony, I'm like, you know, you can sin until you're exhausted. <laughs> like, you can sin until you're just sick of it. Like, I, I, I hate sinning, you know, but I don't know where to find life. And, and you just keep on that pursuit. And that's where Zacchaeus is. He just wants to be free. You can see it in the narrative. He's like, I'm so tired of trying to find life. And, and like you said, CJ, like, it's, it's an empty promise. It's the law of diminishing return. The more money I get, the less satisfied I am. I'm sick of this. And that's, that's the beautiful story here of Zacchaeus. Look at uh, Luke 19.3. Here's our guy again. He was seeking. There's the word. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. Maybe, maybe there is life in this guy. I'm tired of being the bully. I'm tired of the wealth. It's not doing anything. When I go home, I'm still lonely. I'm still by myself. I'm still in utter decay in my heart. And this Jesus keeps bringing people joy in life. And I hear he's passing through. And so maybe he leaves the tax collecting station at the gates and, and uh, he begins to follow the crowd from afar. And, and, but on account of the crowd, he could not. He, he couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd because he was small of stature. And, you know, I'm short, but this guy's like, he's, he's small. No amens on that, please. So verse 4, what does he do? I mean, he, he, he just loses all kind of self-exalting aura about him. And he says, forget this. I'm so tired of this life. And so he ran on ahead. He runs in front of the group. <laughs> Hundreds of people following Jesus. As dust is kicking up and, and the sun is beating down, he, he makes his way and the smallness of stature is working for him finally. And he makes his way around the crowd and he finds a tree and he sees Jesus coming up this road and he says, okay, if I get up on this tree, I know that road's going to come right under the tree. I'm going to be able to see Jesus and I'm not just going to see Jesus. I really want to know if he's going to do something in my heart. And he climbs into the sycamore tree at low branches, easy to climb, to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way, so he gets up in the tree just in time. And then verse 5, the most amazing thing happens, because Zacchaeus probably thinks, am I good enough for Jesus to love? Because that's what the human heart cries out. And Jesus isn't worried about if you're good enough, it's because you're not good enough that he loves and so in verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, the place where Zacchaeus is in the tree, he looks up. The Lord, always in control, he stops the crowd. The crowd stops. There had to be a hush. Every time Jesus stopped, something amazing happened. Something came to life. Humans, plants, you name it. And he stops the whole crowd. The dust settles, and he looks up at the tree. And hundreds, if not thousands, look at Zacchaeus as they follow the eyes of Jesus. He's looking up in the tree and he makes eye contact with Zacchaeus. Verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he heard and came down and he received him joyfully. And Zacchaeus runs down that tree and literally him and Jesus embrace. And this little angry man is finding healing in Jesus. Amazing stuff. Look at the wording of verse 6-2. He received him joyfully. Jesus embraces the sinner joyfully. 
But Zacchaeus embraces the Savior with joy. I found a new identity in Christ. I can let go of this crazy journey. But let me backtrack because there's always, there's always the bad seed in these stories. And we're seeing this repetitive thing happen over and over. What happens every time you have this soloist who's all broken and culture and society doesn't want them and they find Jesus and Jesus says, you're, you're part of my posse now. What does the crowd seem to do over and over? What's up with a crowd of Jesus followers? They're, je they're jealous. We had a great little discussion in our table leader meeting. I'll, I'll break it out just a little bit here. But here it is again. The Jesus followers, which these people may not have been even converted. They wanted Jesus for the wrong reasons. But check it out, guys. Let's think about Bethel Christian Church for a minute. Not to, not to cast stones at us, but just to learn a lesson here. The Jesus followers wanted, wanted things to look a certain way. They, they didn't want Zacchaeus to be a Jesus follower because that's messy. They thought the Jesus followers were going to, you know, we should look like this. We should walk like this. We should dress like this. We should talk like this. We should see, you know, they had their little box that they said, this is where Jesus fits and this is where the people of Jesus fits. And Jesus just kicks out the sides of the box as the crowd watches and he says, no, this is what following Jesus looks like. This crummy little man who's messy, who doesn't, who doesn't necessarily say the right things. He doesn't look right. He doesn't know your songs. He doesn't know your style, but he's one of mine. He doesn't fit in culture, but he doesn't fit in with a religious crowd. He fits in with me. You know, he just takes these people and he's like, you don't get it. You, you can't put me in a box. I don't look like something. I don't sound like something. I look like love. You know, and that's hard for us to deal with, it, especially as a church, because it's very easy to say, you know, I want my Christianity to look like this. It's comfortable that way. And every time I get comfortable with my Christianity, Jesus is like, John, watch. Watch what I'm about to do. I'm going to send these 10 people to the church, and they're going to do something radical in the church, and they're going to make you question your comfort zone. And you're going to have to get outside yourself, but that's where you find me, outside the walls of Jerusalem. You find me out there on the cross. And I'm like, ugh. You know, he's always expanding this box of ours. And really, guys, if people are going to meet Jesus, um, churches have to identify with people, not create a culture that keeps them out. We, we ha it's messy business. It's hard. That's why we have to stay praying and patient and full of grace, because it's messy business, especially in the city of San Francisco, yeah? Messy business out there. So let's check it out. Let me wrap this up. Uh, Luke 19.3. Let's go back to that verse. Let me show you something. Let's talk about the crowd just for a minute. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. On account of the crowd, he could not get to Jesus. Why wouldn't the crowd let him in? What do you do when you see someone who may be handicapped um, or who may be small or a kid? Like we were at the St. Patrick's Parade. Anybody? Yeah? That was awesome. Yeah, I'm not even Irish. And I was like, yeah, go Ireland. And like nothing there was Irish either. Like, you know, it was like, all these different countries and these dance teams and everything. I'm like, it's just a party. It's all good. Um, but anyway, uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. St. Pat. Oh, yeah. So uh, it's, been a, it's been a long, good day. I'm just 
I'm having fun tonight. But think about it. When crowds, when crowds would gather, it was amazing. Like if there was a little kid and he wanted to get to the fence to kind of see the pony show or whatever, the crowd would move out of the way. It, it makes sense. It's just a cultural norm throughout the ages. It's not an us thing in America. It's like a global thing throughout history. Like you make way for the lesser. Why wouldn't they, why wouldn't they part the Red Sea of their crowd to let this little man see Jesus? Yeah, they, they, don't, they don't want this guy to be a part of their group. They despised him. But here's what I love about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus doesn't care. Zacchaeus is, he's about to be changed by Jesus, not the crowd. He, he's done with the crowd. He, he, has, he has worked the crowd and worked power and money and identity for so long out there. He doesn't care anymore. And look at the power of the gospel. Look at Luke 19.5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Boom, it's over. I love the story of Paul the Apostle. I'm Paul, by the way, Paul is my hero. I have a poster of Paul in my bedroom. No, I really don't. I, like, he, he looks like this little old man in this... He looks like a homeless man. He's, he's got scar tissue. He's just, he's really, he doesn't look, he doesn't look great at all. And he's right there. He's like, it's an eight foot poster right in my picture. Um, but no, I love, I love the testimony of the Apostle Paul when he gets saved. You know, C.H. Uh, Spurgeon said, uh, Paul was Saul before he was saved. Right? We're good? Okay, so he was Saul. He got saved. He, he got a new surname of Paul. Here's what Spurgeon said. If Saul met Paul Saul would have killed Paul. And if Paul could meet Saul, Paul would heal Saul. It's the lion like lamb, lamb like lion. That's the power of the gospel. I love what Jesus does with Paul. He goes, hey, hey Saul, why are you persecuting my people? And he goes like this, you're done. And Paul's like, the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon him. He gets saved. The heart begins to be regenerated, and, and literally Paul says, I'm done. It's over. And I, I don't mean you clean up the life that fast, but the heart, when it comes in contact with the Holy Spirit through salvation, is so radically powerful. And then he says in verse 5, I'm going to your house. And culturally, guys, pick up on this. This will open up the story in your mind's eye. To go to somebody's house, it wasn't like us. Like I've been at people's houses, you know, for weeks, just in and out, it's been great going to friends' houses. Man, in that day and time, to go to somebody's house was a sign of acceptance. It was a sign of committed love. Like, when I open my door to you, like, what I'm saying is, I love you. You're a part of this family now, just by, just by opening the home. And so when Jesus is saying, I'm going to your house, he's like, Zacchaeus, we're one now. You're, you're a part of the crew now. You're a part of the family. And when the crowd heard that, man, it would have blown them away. Like, no, Zacchaeus. You know, it's that, that old adage, that Jeffrey Dahmer thing. It's like, well, wait a minute. He was so notoriously filthy and sick, and he gets saved before he dies. And you're saying, like, Jesus just wipes the slate clean? See, man, it's hard on the, the self-righteous person. You know, it's like, man, Zacchaeus, no. Jesus, don't take him in. Don't do that thing. And he's like, no, we got this guy. He's one of ours. And if you look at uh, verse 6 again, there's this joy. Why the joy in Zacchaeus' heart? Here's why, guys, going back to identity and all that Zacchaeus tried to find value in. Here's why there's joy. Zacchaeus doesn't need money and power to find his sense of worth anymore. 
Look at verse 8. Look at what he does. This is madness. Or he's in his right mind. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, <laughs> you know you have, Zacchaeus. I restored fourfold. What an interesting number, fourfolds. Fourfolds. What are you doing there, Zacchaeus? All right, check it out. Track with me just a few minutes longer. In the Old Testament, the economic crime above all crimes that received the worst penalty was stealing cattle. Like, really? Cattle. I know. It's like, really? A cow? What's up with that? Well, it was a different economy back then. Uh, and here's what happened. You had, to pay it, you had to pay four times the amount that you stole. Worst crime. So Zacchaeus is taking the most dire of all economic sins and all the, the high penalties that that carried, and he's owning it. He's saying, I did it. I sinned the worst possible sins I could have done with money, and I'm willing to give it all back. That's what we call what? Man, what a dumb question. It means a lot of things. Restitution, yes, you're all right. Repentance. He's turning from his old ways and he's saying, I want a new way. I want to follow you, Jesus. He's receiving a new heart from Jesus. But here's the, here's the kicker of the story, okay? Here's, here's, here's where it gets beautiful. Here's what I want you to think about. Why is Zacchaeus in that tree? Why are you in that tree, Zacchaeus? Because he's despised and rejected. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, you come down. You don't have to be despised and rejected anymore. You come down and I'll go up and I'll be nailed to a tree and I'll be despised and rejected so you can be loved, accepted, have a new identity and be valued by God forever. And because he's valued, check this out, you guys. Because he's finding all this value in Jesus, like, all I need is the love and approval of Jesus. And when I'm staying right there and bathing in that, I don't need you to approve me. I don't need any of you to approve me. And you don't need me to approve you. When we forget it, though, oh, when we forget this, and we lose a job, or we don't have enough money, or we don't look a certain way. We can be so desperate for people to approve us that we do the, the worst of things. If we stay there and embrace the love of Jesus and the acceptance of Jesus, because Zacchaeus is so valued by Jesus, money now becomes a vehicle for love in the world. <laughs> like it's just a tool now to get people to Jesus. And that's what we want. That's how we cut that cord. And now Zacchaeus, man, he sees every material thing attached to having some ultimate spiritual purpose to show the love of Christ. Now he has set materialism free to be used for the love of Christ. He doesn't need it anymore to be valued or accepted. He's finding that in Jesus. And we can have the same thing, the same thing.